Alright all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 255 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the classic gaming episode of the SLS Cast because it turns out that in the original Legend of Zelda game, Link can carry a maximum of 255 rupees. Also, the infamous kill screen from Pac-Man, came after clearing level 255. So, some dual classic gaming knowledge for you this week. So, with that knowledge, I, of course, am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim! Hey, Tim. How's it going, Matthew? Now that your belly is full from all that delicious... Thanksgiving turkey dinner that your belly is so full you can probably hardly move. I know it took days for me to fully recover. Are you ready for Christmas now? Do you have the Christmas music playing in your home? No, the moratorium on all things Christmas is lifted uh, around four, about four o'clock in the afternoon on uh, Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. We pack ourselves up into the old family mobile, into the Quentin mobile, and we turn on the Christmas music and we head on out to Santa's Wonderland, because that is our kickoff to the holidays tradition here at, at, at the household. We go out all the way out to College Station and hit this super huge old western town that has this huge um, hayride full of millions upon millions upon millions of Christmas lights. And so that's how we kick off our holiday season. And then we'll come back from that later in the evening. And so we're listening to the Christmas music there. And then everyone will come home and we snuggle all up in our beds and uh, hit the hay. And then, of course, Thanksgiving comes around. And we'll get up in the morning so that we can All together in one bed? It depends. We have done that before. It's a little harder to do nowadays with everyone, you know, being with me being as fat as I am, and then the the <laughs> girls actually getting taller and stuff. It's harder to fit them all on the bed. Not to mention meant, we have Luther to contend tall. with. True. Yeah. And then we also have Luther to contend with, so he likes to try and you know upset the balance there. But um, yeah. And so then on Thursday morning we wake up because at nine a.m. Uh, we have the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, so we have to watch that, and we'll be watching that, and then, uh, we're doing the Thanksgiving Day stuff, and, and, uh, then after Thanksgiving dinner, we, of course, have the leftovers, and the turkey sandwiches begin, and, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So from here on out, ladies and gentlemen, keep in mind that in Matthew's household, the Christmas music is blaring up until recording time, music goes off. And then it picks right back up again. Pretty much. 23 hours a day (laughs) on the day of recording, Christmas music is playing. Does your family like the classics, or do you venture off into into the Michael Boltons or the? We we have a liberal smattering. It's a it's a smorgasbord, really. Uh, we do the classic stuff. We do the more recent things. We'll do the kids style of Christmas songs, and and I mean, and it goes because we have all these different things that we do. So like you know, the day after Thanksgiving is when we go and cut down our Christmas tree. So we have the, you know, we do the big Christmas tree cut down thing. That's when the girls get their picture with Santa and everything. And uh, so we have to have all sorts of different kinds of Christmas music so that it doesn't get old. And, uh, you know, so, yeah, that's that's our thing. So how does your Christmas tree look? And how did your kid's picture with Santa come out? (laughs) Well, we have to give them something to, to look forward to. (laughs) <laughs> As we progress through December, so we do not want to empty our Christmas balls. That's right, full of our Christmas spirit. That, that, too soon, exactly. We definitely want to make sure that we have extra treats coming out of the tinsel. You know what I mean? Uh, as we go through our holiday eggnog, 
and any other sexual euphemism you'd like to do combining with Christmas. So, yeah. What about you, sir? How was your turkey day? It was great. Like, <laughs> God, I, you know, there, I have some really funny stories about that day. It's just, unfortunately, we don't have the time to talk about it, Well, Matthew. that's we, okay. We don't. You, you too can unload on us next week or the week after. <laughs> <laughs> just Christmas jizz all over the place. I'm going to be in a Thanksgiving coma all through this episode and all through next episode, guys. So all the stories will come out around our Christmas episode. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Just think two weeks from now in no more than two weeks from now, you will have all of the holiday overload that you can possibly stand. But until then, I suppose we should check the old mail sack. What do you say? Um... If we must. We must. Check that mail sack, check it good. Check that mail sack, like you should. Oh no! We suck again! I don't know why we must, because apparently we're gluttons for punishment here. <laughs> so, so much castration. Much castration. <laughs> Very wow. God, I've lost my hearing because of it. All right, well, if you would like to send us an email, at this point, I think it'll be a Christmas miracle. But hey, tis the season, right? Uh, then send us an email to the show at slscast.com. As always, all of our followers on uh, on Twitter, we really do appreciate the we appreciate you. We appreciate the new people who've been following us uh, over the last week. And if you'd like to join said followers, then you can do that by following us at the SLS cast. So I think we should jump right into the news. What do you say, sir? Hop on in. Here we go, folks. It's the news. And this is my only news piece this week. Comes to us from ComingSoon.net by way of Jenna Bush. Yes. Now, you guys were wondering, or we had talked about, maybe you weren't wondering, but Tim was wondering, and so I answered, you know, do we really want to see another Murder on the Orient Express film? Anything else from the world of Hercule Poirot? <clears throat> and don't worry, Tim. You can just loop that instead of trying to say Poirot. Uh, oh, I will. <laughs> uh, but yeah, as it turns out, Murder on the Orient Express sequel, Death on the Nile, is happening. Yes, that's right, folks. <clears throat> and if I can breathe, that would be outstanding. There is more Agatha Christie slash Detective Hercule Poirot on the way. A sequel to Murder on the Orient Express, which opened in theaters back on November 10th, is happening, according to The Hollywood Reporter. 20th Century Fox is set to bring the next Poirot mystery, Death on the Nile, to the big screen. Michael Green, writer of Logan, Blade Runner 2049, and American Gods, who wrote Murder on the Orient Express, is set to write the script for the film. There is no deal in place for director Kenneth Branagh as of yet, though he is reportedly expected to return to the helm and to the role of Hercule Poirot. Uh, and then just a little bit of background here. Death on the Nile was published in 1937 in the story. Poirot was on vacation in Egypt and ends up investigating a murder that resulted from a love triangle. The story was filmed for the big screen in 1978 and starred Bette Davis, Mia Farrow, Maggie Smith, Angela Lansbury, and David Niven. So, um, what, uh, what do you think about that there, Tim? There are, there's a little bit more to the article. There's probably about another third to that article, if you would like to read the rest. Again, comingsoon.net, by way of Jenna Bush, Murder on the Orient Express sequel, Death on the Nile, is happening. Are you excited about this, Tim? Or are we still kind of trepidatious, as it were? Well, I mean, I still feel the same as I did when we talked about this a couple weeks ago. I enjoyed Murder, uh, Murder on the Orient Express. I thought it was a good movie, but it had so many faults. I just hope that Kenneth Branagh and or the studio recognizes those faults because people who went to go see Murder on the Orient Express, who ended up being either bored or just didn't like it because they thought it was going to be something else, aren't going to give Murder on the Nile a shot. So 
I, I, I just hope they do something a little bit different. They, they sure, change their sure. approach a little more. And that is definitely a fair statement, uh, especially since it is already assumed that Brana will be back at the helm and as the star. You know that I have some reservations about that as well. So right on, man. Well, then I guess only time will tell. So what have you got for us? By the way, do you know anybody that went to go see the movie or that has seen the movie? Friends or family? Uh, no. My mom is a huge Agatha Christie fan. And I believe she's also a Kenneth Branagh fan. I just have not had an opportunity to talk to her recently. And um, I guess I need to get caught up on that. And I'll ask her and then I'll I'll find out if I know anyone. Because she would be the only person I would think I could think of. All right, so moving right along via IndieWire.com. Martin Scorsese's The Irishman now costs $125 million. Netflix won't confirm theatrical release. Uh, this article came out a few weeks ago on November 14th uh, of this year. I guess I need to stop saying of this year and just assume that people know that these articles came out within the year that I am talking about. Written by Zach Scharf and published on November 14th, and it says this. Martin Scorsese is currently filming his upcoming gangster movie, The Irishman, in and around New York City with a cast that includes Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, and Ray Romano. But the answer as to whether or not audiences will get to see the film on the big screen still remains open-ended. Netflix is still refusing to confirm or deny The Irishman will be getting a theatrical release. It's premature to say anything at this point, Netflix's head of film publicity Julie Fontaine recently told Variety. Considering Scorsese is an outspoken proponent of theatrical exhibition, it's surprising that the streaming giant is refusing to confirm a theatrical release for the movie. Sources close to the production say that the negotiation between Scorsese's team and Netflix resulted in a commitment from the streaming giant to release the movie in theaters for at least two weeks, but the company has not made these plans official. A two-week theatrical release would allow The Irishman to qualify for Oscars, which is a strategy Netflix has used for potential awards players like Okja, The Merowitz Stories, and Mudbound, which hits Netflix and opens in 17 theaters across the country on November 17th. So I guess now it's probably already out of the theaters. But we will be talking about it soon. Mudflap, Mudflap, Mudbound. IndieWire first reported in February that Scorsese was bringing The Irishman to Netflix after Paramount withdrew from the movie because of the budget, which was hitting $100 million because of the special effects required to make Robert De Niro appear 30 years younger in certain portions of the movie. Originally, Paramount was going to handle domestic rights with STX Entertainment taking international rights, but the budget kept rising. Producer Gaston Pavlovich tells Variety the budget is now at $125 million and could go over that. The $125 million mark would make The Irishman one of the most expensive movies Scorsese has ever made, unadjusted for inflation. The reported budgets for Gangs of New York and The Wolf of Wall Street were $100 million, while The Aviator came in at $110 million. Only Hugo currently has a bigger budget right now, having cost in the 150 to $170 million range. Quote, we quickly realized that Marty and De Niro really thought that the aging process was going to be a very important aspect of this film, end quote. Pavlovich said, quote, the traditional business model was not going to work with this new vision of the project. And that's when we entered conversations with Netflix, end quote. Uh, the article does go on from there. It is targeting a 2019 release because Mudbound and Ockjaw did receive theatrical releases and because Martin Scorsese is Martin Scorsese. I'm pretty sure he has nothing to worry about or people in general don't have anything to worry about. I'd be very surprised if this movie doesn't get a at least a two-week run in the movie theater. I'd be surprised if this movie doesn't get a one-month run at the theater because people are going to see this movie. People love a De Niro and Scorsese and Joe Pesci team-up, so people are going to flock to go see this. And I'd be... I'd question Netflix's sanity because I would think if they didn't decide to put the movie out in theaters for a little while, because I think they want to try to try to get the most bang for their buck, you know, because people will pay money to go see it at the theater. Therefore, they will get more money from it. So, 
Yeah, but what, what do you think about this? Do you uh, are you are you worried at all that this will not hit the silver screen? No, I mean I, I know that they're definitely gonna do everything they can for a prestige push on this film, uh, because I think this is kind of gonna be the benchmark for what Netflix is willing to do going forward in in terms of attracting big name talent both in front of and behind the camera for feature filmmaking and they're gonna need this film to do as well as possible and also even if they decide that they're only gonna push prestige pictures going forward then they're still gonna need to figure out where their you know budget break point is gonna be um and what kind of cycle they're going to use because obviously like with the whole thing with Okja last year and then can changed its rules so that you know players like Netflix really wouldn't be able to u- utilize that route anymore um so i i fully anticipate to see some form or fashion of theater going experience for this movie um in what shape that's ultimately going to take i don't know yet but i i'm not worried and again, that was via IndieWire.com. Martin Scorsese's The Irishman now costs $125 million. Netflix won't confirm theatrical release, written by Zach Scharf. And next up for me, something I, I didn't clear with you, Matthew. I remembered hearing about this some time ago, and I wanted to talk about it on the show, because I found this to be, like, very old Hollywood. Wow. And it makes sense. Well, how dare you? How fucking dare you? <laughs> I don't. Oh. I, I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be shocked that you're coming. Well, at you me. can be. <laughs> well, I, I thought there could there was a good possibility that maybe you knew what I was going to talk about, and maybe you were even going to talk about C- it. Clearly not. So okay. you're, you're golden, sir. What have you got for us? So Tarantino, his ninth film takes place in 1969, L.A. Hollywood, 1969. Uh, the Manson oh, murders. Oh, right. Yeah. I think I know what you're going to tell Or kind me. of in the, it's it's like the centerpiece of the film, pretty much. It's supposed to be his uh, his next Pulp Fiction-y type of movie. Well, it, he's been trying to find a studio to make this movie since uh, the Weinsteins can't make his films anymore or front his films anymore. Basically, Sony ended up getting his movie. And, and it's pretty astounding because the purported budget is $100 million dollars. Via TheHollywoodReporter.com, how Sony nabbed Quentin Tarantino's Manson movie, published on November 18th and written by Boris Kitt, and it says this. To acquire the project, the studio had to agree to the filmmaker's lofty demands, including, sources say, a $95 million production budget, oh, it was $5 million off, whatever, final cut, and extraordinary creative controls. In the wake of the sexual assault allegations against Harvey Weinstein, his career-long collaborator Quentin Tarantino's next movie became one of the hottest projects in years on Hollywood's auction block. Sony Pictures Entertainment on November 8th made a high-powered presentation that included Chairman Tom Rothman, Columbia Pictures President Sanford Penich, and marketing president Josh Greenstein, but the studio had to wait on pins and needles for more than a week before learning it beat out Warner Brothers and Paramount to land worldwide distribution rights to the film. It's a significant win for Sony, given its currently anemic slate, but to acquire the project, the studio had to contend with Tarantino's lofty demands, including sources say a $95 million production budget, final cut, and, quote, extraordinary creative controls, end quote, plus a whopping 25% of first dollar gross. Another demand was the rights to the movie revert to him after 10 to 20 years. The film, which has a working title of number nine, it will be Tarantino's ninth movie, will have to make $375 million worldwide to break even, according to one source. Tough negotiations occurred between the parties, and a Sony insider says that Tarantino did not get the full 25% of first dollar gross that he had requested. In July, The Hollywood Reporter revealed that Tarantino, who's 54, was working on the new movie, described as a 1969 set ensemble piece that in some way involves Charles Manson and the murder of Sharon Tate, Sony's pickup game with no actors attached, but overtures have been made to such A-listers as Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Margot Robbie. 
But also, Warner Brothers made a splashy presentation. Apparently, it decked out part of its lot in executive conference room in late 1960s regalia, and was thought by many to have the inside track due to the involvement of David Heyman, who came on board as a producer after it became clear that Tarantino would not be working with Weinstein. Heyman produced the Harry Potter movies for Warner's as well as the Oscar-winning hit Gravity. And then it goes on to talk about that Sony did handle the uh, foreign releases, the international release of Django Unchained, and the movie did gross well. And what I meant by this reminded me of classic old Hollywood is that this is what uh, studios used to do with some of these big profile directors back when Steven Spielberg was super hot and Tim Burton, you know, they would do cool things like this to get their business. Because the thing with Tarantino, he's out of a studio. Like, his collaborators... He's not working with his collaborators anymore. And so what Sony is hoping is that this will be the start of a healthy, long relationship. And if this movie does well, and they do good by Tarantino, so maybe they'll be able to do the next movie, and then the next movie, and the next movie. I see. So so by healthy, long relationship, you mean the healthy One more movie? two movie relationship? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's repeatedly stated he's only making 10. So This is true. But also, that's 10 movies. He would write for TV. And he would write scripts and sell them to people. So, I mean, that could still I guess. He could still have a relationship with the studio. I really think that was a I mean, I don't know, especially after the whole hateful eight thing, I am not I, I do not have faith that he's going to be able to hold fast to 10 movies and stop. I just can't. I, I don't see how that would work for him. I think he's too creative to just quit. But we'll see. We'll see. You know, it is it is what it is at this point. Um, as far as uh, relation to the article itself, no, yeah, I actually, once you started, once you said Tarantino, I was like, oh, I know where he's going with this. Um, yeah, I think this is pretty exciting. I know that Sony is definitely very happy to hear about, uh, to, you know, to finally get this deal done. And I, I don't doubt that they will be able to get quite a lot of traction out of this. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely excited. And I believe I saw somewhere out there in the interwebs, uh, because I don't quite recall where this is at. So please take this with a grain of salt. I'm fairly certain that the title of the movie will just be 1969 because he's, it's just everybody's tripping over the whole Manson thing and someone quoted him as saying it's not going to be called Marilyn Manson or anything like that. It's just 1960. Charles Manson? Sorry. God. See, I'm sorry. I'm so very <laughs> tired right now. Yes. Charles Manson, not Marilyn Manson. God damn. Ugh. What, what, what the hell is the matter with me? Anyway. So before I stick my foot even further in my mouth, I'll cap the news off with this little article from io9.com. Zack Snyder fans petition for the release of his cut of Justice League as deleted scenes leak online. Uh, this was posted right around when Justice League, Justice League came out, so a week or so ago. Uh, and it says this, people who like Zack Snyder and his work have a tendency to really like Zack Snyder and his work. So it's no surprise that the shifts late in Justice League's production, which include a hefty inclusion of Joss Whedon Helm reshoots and directorial judgments, would be unpalatable to Snyder's diehards. Thus enters the old mainstay of angry internet mobs everywhere, the Change.org petition, this one created by Robert Mata of San Juan, Puerto Rico, has amassed over 33,000 signatures in just a few days. As of press time, close to its goal of 35,000. The petition, aimed at Warner Brothers itself, requests the release of Zack Snyder's director Cut and Tom Hockenborg's Junkie XL score for home release. According to the petition description, which clocks in at nearly 2,500 words and involves more than a little shouting, quote, fans have been waiting for years while others have waited decades for the film to finally arrive on the silver screen. The two-hour runtime is disrespectful towards Zack Snyder's vision and towards the fans who have waited for more than a year to see the alien's story come to an end, end quote. 
The problem, of course, well, one of the many problems is that it's unclear if the cut these fans are asking for even exists. Snyder did likely have a cut of the film at one point in production before he stepped down, as the petition describes, but that cut would have been an unfinished one, likely with in-progress VFX work in placeholder music. The film these fans are imagining a complete work that fits Snyder's vision for Justice League most likely doesn't exist and never did. Whedon's reshoots weren't merely a means of modifying Snyder's pure vision, they were deemed necessary work to complete the film. Whedon's Justice League, for better or for worse, is the only one we've got. That doesn't mean a healthy amount of incomplete Snyder footage wasn't left on the cutting room floor. However, these fans were likely cheered to see some of it leak last night. According to a report on comicbook.com, the footage appeared on Vimeo, though it has since been taken down. The scenes which were without sound were incomplete and largely centered on Cyborg. In one, Cyborg creates a digital rendition of a scene in Nazi Germany, which he then occupies as a digital version of himself. Another shows Cyborg processing information at a superhuman rate. Another has him figuring out how to fly. And it goes on from there, talking more about the scenes that were leaked online. Uh, if you want to read more about it, io9.com, Zack Snyder fans petition for the release of his cut of Justice League as deleted scenes leak online, written by Julie Muncie. Matthew, even if there was a cut of Zack Snyder's Justice League, would you even care to watch it? Yes, I would. And the only reason is because... I would like to see if there would be any tonal differences or if it's just more along the lines of, I guess, more along the lines of, you know, artistic direction. Like, oh, I, I would like the look of it to be this instead of that. Or I, I maybe change the pacing a little bit. But I would be interested to see if there were any real tonal shifts based on story progression than what we got out of the movie. So I would say sure. But not because I immediately think that it would be better. Well, and I think a lot of the people that are demanding this type of thing are probably people that don't read a lot of entertainment news and have no idea. I'm sure to some extent they know why Joss Whedon stepped in because obviously they're fans of Zack Snyder. But I don't think they realize there was a reason why Joss Whedon had to step in. It wasn't to take over completely Zack Snyder's movie and completely shit on Zack Snyder's, air quotes here, vision. He, you know, he, he had to finish the movie and the studio wanted him to finish the movie. And therefore, within finishing the movie, he had to make cuts and make changes very much like how I'm sure the studio would have asked Snyder to do if he was still working on the movie. I think this is going to be another uh, Suicide Squad deal here where people wanted a director's cut, an extended cut of Suicide Squad. They released one, and the 10 minutes of extra footage apparently does nothing for the movie. Even if they did release an extended cut, I don't think it's going to do anything for this type of movie, unfortunately. Fair enough, sir. Fair enough. And that's my news. Right on. All right, well then let's go ahead and shift right into the movies, folks. That is, if you're ready, Tim. Are you ready? Let's do it. Here we go, folks. It's... The movies. All right, and this week's movies are Justice League and Mudbound. Where do you want to start first, sir? Why don't we do Justice League? All right, you heard the man. Let's do it. Justice League. We have to be ready. You, me, the others. There's an attack coming from far away. Not coming, Bruce. It's already here. The others, where are they? I'm looking for warriors. This stranger, others like him. I'm building an alliance to defend us. It's very important that I see this man. Barry Allen. Bruce Wayne. You said that like it explains why there's a total stranger sitting in the dark in my second favorite chair. He said he'll fight with us? More or less. 
More, more, or more, less? Probably more, or less. He said no. He said no. Look, man, I don't know who you are, but whoever you're looking for. So you're fast. That feels like an oversimplification. I'm putting together a team, people with special abilities. You see, I believe enemies are coming. Stop right there. I'm in. You are? Just like that? Yeah, I... I need friends. Arthur Curry. The Aquaman. It's on him. Organic and biomechatronic body parts. He's a cyborg. You should probably move. They said the age of heroes would never come again. It has to. What are your superpowers again? I'm rich. My turn. Shall we? It's good to see you playing well with others again. Just like a bat. I dig it. Maybe temporary. Yes, 2017 American superhero film based on the DC Comics superhero team of the same name, consisting of Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Aquaman, and Cyborg. That's right. Of course, we know it's already directed by Zack Snyder, uh, for the most part. Uh, stars Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill, Amy Adams, Gal Gadot, Ezra Miller, Jason Momoa, Ray Fisher, Jeremy Irons, Diane Lane, Connie Nielsen, and J.K. Simmons. Uh, the last three, of course, really more or less just glorified cameos, but hey, what are we going to do? Um, Alright, so the idea behind the movie is that there is this evil character dude called Steppenwolf who was trying to take over the world with the use of these three special mother boxes. Uh, he was defeated, but now the mother boxes have started to reactivate and he's going to take over the world again. Uh, so now we need to have the super team get together, right? We need, you know, got to have the Justice League get together. Um, and, and at the same time, they've got to try and figure out how to do it without Superman. And naturally, um, you, you gotta realize that, uh, if they've got the Superman emblem there, that Superman's not staying dead. Um, also, if you didn't gather that from the end of Batman v Superman, then I, I just don't know how to help you. So! Let's talk about this movie. Um, I just up front, there's not really much of a way to talk about this movie without quote unquote spoiling it. And you should already know more or less that, uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a chain of movies, folks. So, you know, you should be able to infer what happens here. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to read from my, I got into a discussion on Reddit about it. So I'm just going to read what I wrote on Reddit about this movie. And it's from the official discussion, Justice League, spoilers thread, if you're interested. First of all, did Henry Cavill die in real life or something? Holy crap, there was so much CGI Clark slash soups action everywhere. Even a lot of his close-ups were very obviously CG, which caused massive uncanny valley, uncanny valley action as I watched it. Uh, very quickly, I do realize now that he had to come back for reshoots, and because of the man from Uncle Sequel, they would not let him shave the mustache that he grew for that oh no it was the Im mission impossible it was a mission impossible okay thank you all right yeah. so mission impossible not man from uncle but um yeah so they wouldn't let him shave the mustache so they had to remap his face sans the mustache which is you know part of the cgi but it's not all of it that's just some of it so whatever uh speaking of cgi at this point i hope that cameron's tech for the avatar sequels takes off and becomes the norm because i'm just so very tired of all the terabad cg i think it's pretty fair to say that people are so used to the idea of cg being virtually everywhere in a superhero flick that we could just accept the need to axe real life peeps on screen altogether. I think it's enough to know that they're wearing special suits slash rigs which bring to life whatever characters the audience will see. Also, 
Did they have to wreck it, Ralph, do the wreck it, Ralph thing with Batman calling the bugs? Really? It's fucking Batman. He could have devised some way to incapacitate the bugs inside the shield or something. I don't know. Maybe fear pheromones laced with a toxin of some sort. I will say that I thought the banter was well done overall. I'm also, it was also really interesting to see the return of Superman storyline incorporated in a simple yet effective way. Expanding on that, I hark back from the days of actually having had the physical comics. It was a long, drawn-out process with five potential replacements for Superman, one of them being a kid, one of them being a black guy, one of them being a cyborg, seeing any resemblance to the movie yet, and eventually it turned into this thing about his cells never really dying and a cop-out that had him return in full form. So, to simply acknowledge that his cells were alive and use the existing tech from the ship combined with the box, saved a lot of time and effort, which would allow for a fun mid-fight movie scene that sets up the solidification of the team as they work together, along with the epic save-the-day return of Superman himself. At least as far as the team is concerned, the audience obviously knew ahead. This is also why they focus so heavily on Lois during Batman v Superman, so that the quote, big guns, end quote, of her reveal would have that exact effect which would be his being completely calmed down after coming back to life and being confused and thinking he still needs to fight everybody. Should there be another movie, I think the fallout of his return will be a little bit further uh, explored. In terms of Affleck, I actually liked his performance. I think that Bruce has evolved since Batman v Superman, and he truly understands that while he and Clark might disagree on some things, the need for the heroes to come together for the betterment of mankind is tantamount to said disagreements. He also understands that he truly can't do this forever, but wants to contribute to the cause in a lasting way. Thus the Hall of Justice. This is what we see in Affleck's performance, the desperation of a man coming to the end of his life's work and wanting it to mean something. He's tired, but still wants to exhibit the devil-may-care attitude because that's all he's worked with his whole life. Yet, he wants to move forward, which is a new experience in and of itself. Uh, also, based on this movie, I am looking forward to seeing an Aquaman flick. People don't seem to realize that he is like a three-quarter strength Superman on land, which is why it gets his ass handed to him in the movie, but nearly the equivalent in the water. Uh, at the end of the day, it's a fun movie, if not a good movie per se, and despite its flaws, I liked it. I gave it a 3.25 out of 5. How many of you are there? Not enough. Eight people abducted from or near Star Labs. Here's the potential perp. Parademons. Okay. The demons must have caught the scent of another box. They carried people away to find out what they know. So the eight may still be alive. Nine. Oh. The head of Star Labs was taken as well. You made it. So then, there must be a nest nearby. I plotted all the sightings in Metropolis, Gotham. No pattern, I can see. The lines on the map don't converge. On land. These lead back to Braxton Island, between the two cities. Gotham Harbor. These are air vents. They all lead down to the Tunnel to Metropolis project that was abandoned in 29. Do you really think that... Oh, wow, they just... They really just vanished. Huh? Oh. That's rude. Go ahead, Tim. Decimate! Because I know that you hated it. Yeah, so I made the poor decision of going to see this movie on a beautiful Saturday morning. I walked in and it was a blue sky. I had a great breakfast, great sleep. The theater was pretty decent. It had the nice comfy chairs. And the audience was fine. The sound was fine. The picture was fine. Yada, yada, yada. I left that damn movie with a horrible headache. It was an ugly, ugly, ugly movie. It wasn't as ugly as Man of Steel. It was apparent that somebody, Joss Whedon, was not only brought on to kind of fix some of the issues with the movie and to finish up what Zack Snyder wasn't able to finish, but he also tried to brighten the movie up a bit. Not only tonally, but via the color as well, because 
you can just tell that the setting, the costumes, the look of the film, not necessarily the color, but just the look and feel of the film, has Zack Snyder written all over it. And it completely clashes with Joss Whedon's style. And you can just tell that Joss Whedon, what he wanted to do was brighten the movie up with the color and make things look a little bit lighter. And in doing so, it just completely clashed with the look of these characters. These characters didn't look like they belonged in this movie. Batman looked awkward as shit. There was too much texture and stuff you see on the Batsuit that just looked really weird. So I was just focused on the freaking Batsuit and how awkward they all looked when they were in a group or in a line just standing around. It was strange to look at. But that's not what really gave me a headache. What gave me the headache was the constant use of really bad CGI and really bad green screens. Virtually every single scene, every single shot, every single fight scene, if a character is running, more than likely it's a blue screen or a green screen. During the big fight with Clark Kent, with Superman, right when they bring him back from the dead, oh my god, the entire scene was green screen. If you watch some of the same shots uh, that were featured in the trailer of the movie, those took place at night. And they look fairly decent. And so you kind of wonder, making the movie brighter... Changing the time of the day, did that possibly hurt the overall look of the movie? Because I sure as shit thought so. It just didn't meld together in a cohesive, nice way. I know you already mentioned uh, uh, Superman's CGI upper lip. Yes. Uh, that was ridiculous. Absolutely. What It was all, I, I agree, by the way. I cannot overstate the fact that I completely agree on the CGI. It's just way sure. too much. I just don't even understand. And that's why I made the comment. Because even though I'm not necessarily looking forward to Cameron's Avatar sequels, there's no denying that his tech is, like, fucking awesome. So why can't we just start doing that? Because I agree. It's like you seriously can't even just go outside into a fucking cornfield? Like, surely there's got to be a cornfield. Like, you could just make a cornfield. That like, can't be that hard. But, you know, there's grass. I know there's still grass in California. Please go find some grass. I, you know, so I totally Or change agree. the scene. Yes. Uh, so I agree. CG is just, wow. Yeah. During the movie, I was trying to figure out, like, what was shot by Joss Whedon, what was shot by Zack Snyder, which shot, which scene, which moment belonged to which director, or which filmmaker. And I quit doing that because... I, I, I'm not wanting to point the blame at anybody. I think the most blame I, I can pin on anyone really is Warner Brothers, whoever the frick is producing all these movies who are calling most of the shots. But instead of going and, re, and, and having to resort to a shoddy blue screen or green screen, just change the freaking scene. Whenever I think of Clark Kent, I don't think of him standing in the middle of a cornfield. He very well could be sitting inside. I, I don't know. A different backdrop, I suppose. Other things that really bothered me was the music choice. Zack Snyder is known for putting classic songs in his movies, normally remakes of those classic songs. Worked a handful of times in his other films. It just hasn't worked in the past couple movies. In this one, he had a Leonard Cohen cover at the beginning of the movie that just really didn't work. It was a horrible cover, and it was just really cheesy. You have Lois Lane. I like the actress. I like Amy Adams. I just don't like her portrayal. I don't like how she's being used in these movies. She's always sad. She's always crying. She's always getting the shit into the stick. Overall, I thought it was a very simple story, especially when it concerns bringing Superman back to life. It all felt rushed. The studio, Warner Brothers, it was a studio mandate to have the film under two hours. So like, I'm sure this movie easily could have been two and a half hours. And I kind of wished it was. Maybe at the helm of another director. I think Superman should not have come back to life until it was their last, absolute last resort. Because there's a lot of psychology, you know? You have to, like, get to that point in your life when it's like, I need to bring this person back to life. Or I would assume it would, they would have to get to a specific point mentally that they would decide to bring somebody back to life. And that should have happened at the end of the movie, Therefore, Justice League 2 could have been with Superman. It just missed so many moments and so many story nuances that would have 
deepened these characters significantly and made me want to care more and made me want to go and see more of these movies. Because right now, I don't care. Instead, we have What's-His-Name playing Flash, and he's obnoxious as shit. He's a very simple-minded speaker. His his humor is very obvious. It's very simple. He points out a lot of the same obvious crap we've heard in so many other movies, which feature characters exactly like this guy. Oh, you're a bat? Like, a bat? Oh, hey, you dress like a bat. Wild. Cool. I didn't think that was true. You know, just like dumb little sayings like that. That was just too silly to be funny. Especially when the tone of this movie is definitely significantly more adult. And then ultimately, what really kind of killed this movie for me, there was a lot of unneeded focus in time spent on, I thought, boring characters, boring scenes. For instance, the ridiculously ugly (laughs) to look at, overly long fight scene between the Amazonians and Steppenwolf that really doesn't do much for the movie other than the result of all that eventually getting to Wonder Woman, to Diana. We didn't need that entire scene to get that point across, to get to that moment. You know, it was just another overlong, drawn-out green screen fight scene. And then it annoyed me even more once I realized that the overall film, the timing felt way off because they spent time focusing on on scenes like that that were unneeded, that didn't really progress the story. Well, I mean, on the surface it progressed the story, but it just spent way too much time doing it. So, I mean, I could go on about this. I mean, there are things that I liked about it. I I liked the score of it. Danny Elfman did it. I enjoyed it. I liked being able to see things more. That was pretty cool. But again, you know, there's a catch-22 there. Sometimes you see too much of the costume to where it becomes more awkward to look at than anything else. When it comes down to it, I am sitting on a one. I did not like this one. I forget what I gave Man of Steel, but I don't know. I might have to go see Man of Steel or watch Man of Steel again to see which one I liked the absolute least. So yeah, one out of five Justice League for me, unfortunately. I wanted to love this movie. I was looking forward to seeing it, but... You know what? I can appreciate... I really and truly can appreciate it. I, I do disagree only because for me the movie really was fun. I agree that it's just not a well put together movie and the CGI just completely obliterates anything in terms of action and style. Um, but the characters grew on me. And again, I like the banner and the banter and the dialogue was, was fun. So that's kind of what saved it. And I did like Aquaman. Um, I did enjoy his, they, even though it was very brief, they, they quickly, established uh that he was if not half human left to live as a human so he's got that rough and tumble nature still wants to be a hero but at the same time now you get now you understand mentally why he says things like huh bat suit guess you weren't kidding about that you know with, with that kind of attitude and so you get a little buy-in also with like um ezra who's playing the flash um it's just you know yes it's snarky it's stupid it's damn near big bang theory you know season six on but it i don't know it just it just kind of worked um and uh same with uh cyborg um he his was really clunky but as you know you by the by the time we get to the finale of the film also kind of interesting so so for me it worked also i did have a really good audience um everybody laughed at the right points in the movie everybody really seemed to be into it and and that that i cannot deny plays into my score but that's why I say the movie isn't necessarily a good movie, but it is a fun movie. And that's where that's where I come from when I land where I land. So True. I and yeah. I just want to make sure I, I just, you know I wanna be clear that even though we have such drastically different scores, I mean, strictly speaking, three eight point two five isn't exactly blowing it out of the water. But um I really do agree with a lot of where Tim's coming from. So that's that, I guess. But let's, let's move on to something that is, um, 
you know, heavy, heavy, heavy handed in the drama department, but at the same time, I, I'm hoping will be a better movie all the way around. Mudbound. Violence is part and parcel of country life. I learned how to stitch up a bleeding wound, load and fire a shotgun. My hands did these things, but I was never easy in my mind. I held his heartbeat in my head. Way down in the hall. All that time he was gone, I only prayed for him. Over there, I was a liberator. People lined up in the streets waiting for us. Sometimes I actually miss it. Yeah, me too. You're the one I always talk about. I own and I own parts are the only way to get up from under their foot. Don't want you working for them. I won't be working for them. I'll be working for us. When I have to fight for my country to come back and find a head and change a bit. I don't know what they let you do over there, but you in Mississippi now. You use the back door. Boy, you found trust. Jamie saw in a different way. And when his eyes were on me, I felt like I was no longer invisible. I seen you sniffing after him. Maybe Henry is too thick to notice, but I ain't. You better open your eyes, big brother. You're so busy worrying about yourself and your farm, you can't even see your own wife is miserable. They work this land all they lie. I used to walk away from the fight. I know more. This land that never would be theirs. You don't need to go, Jamie. I can't stay here. They worked until they sweated. We'll be okay. They sweated until they bled. Oh. They bled until they died. Died clawing at the heart. Brown back that would never be theirs. When I think of the farm, I think of mud. I dreamed in brown. Yes, 2017 American period drama films directed by D. Rees. It's written by Rees and Virgil Williams, based on the novel of the same name by Hilary Jordan. Uh, stars Carrie Mulligan, Garrett Hedlund, Jason Clark, Jason Mitchell, and Mary J. Blige. Film depicts two World War II veterans, one black, one white, who return to uh, Mississippi. And they kind of have to deal with the fallout of returning to normal, quote-unquote, normal life. Uh, after World War II. Well, you know, sure, black servicemen who did very well for himself, all the servicemen in real life who did very well for themselves in Europe, in the theater there, where they didn't experience racism uh, in the same form or fashion, if at all, uh, to the degree that they would have had it back in the States, are now returning to being mistreated uh conversely while not being mistreated because clearly white um ptsd is real and so you have these kind of competing ideas that come across in these two men who befriend one another and how the movie in and of itself carries out is the core of the film and i have to say holy shit is this movie fucking awesome or what? Um, everything about this movie is great. I think it's, um, I, I like the drama aspect of it. I really, really, really believe that Jason Clark did just an absolutely fantastic job. Um, playing this completely conflicted character who has to deal with his brother who is clearly, and his brother, uh, is, played by um Garrett Headland <clears throat> uh who's come back as this kind of semi-war hero kind of a thing but at the same time is having to deal with family fallout in regards to his own wife and maybe he's catching on maybe he's not that his wife kind of likes his brother who just came back from the war um it's 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 a great character very well done and um Jonathan Banks good god i haven't hated a character so much for a while and for the for all the right reasons um just completely racist to the core the character is and i believed him this I, it wasn't one of those things where it was like oh well let's just be ham fisted and pour it on thick because that's the character no no I believed him and it's kind of hard to look at him without hating him and that's 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 what you want in a character like that um, on the flip side though um, 
Ronsel Jackson, played by Jason Mitchell. Fantastic, fantastically done. And the buildups through the movie as the two families interact and also have their own dealings with one another um, create excellent subplots that that not only bolster the main story, but really feed the story itself as it goes along. And it just is pieced together so well. Cinematography is fantastic. Uh, I absolutely love this movie. Cannot recommend it highly enough. Five stars. Five! Five stars. Damn near flawless movie. Um, the only thing I would take back, I would, I would, uh, say as a ding is actually Mary J. Blige's character of Florence Jackson feels for me. I felt she played it well, just kind of felt forced, but honestly not enough for me to ding the movie overall. I, you got to see this movie five stars. It's all right. It's just a car. It must have backfired. Stuck intake valve. They say it stops eventually. Ronzel. Help, son. Jim McKellen, Henry's brother. Pleasure to meet you. You walk here? Yes. Let me give you a lift. Bring us home there, Tim. What do you got? And the amazing thing is that it's on Netflix, so you don't have any reason not to see this movie. Wait, did I say that right? So, therefore, you should see this movie. No, no, yeah, you said it right. There's no reason to not see the movie. And, holy crap, Netflix made a good movie. It's a movie, not a TV show. Or a documentary. (laughs) And it's not a documentary. It's It's Actually, it's pretty funny because (laughs) I watched the new Noah Baumbach film that Netflix released uh, in October, The Meyerowitz Stories. I watched that last week. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. New and Selected or whatever. It's so, so good. So Netflix has two movies. Granted, at least with The Meyerowitz Stories, they're distributing it. They didn't make it. I forget if Mudbound, I guess Mudbound, they're distributing it. But regardless, Mudbound's a great movie. There's not much else I want to add to what Matt had said because I want people to experience it. One of my favorite movies is HUD, uh, the Paul Newman movie HUD. And I love the movie because it's a slow burner. It's all about character development. This is very much like that film. Mudbound is. I enjoyed seeing uh, where this movie's path took these characters. It's a very sad story, and what happens is very sad, but it's powerful. What I also loved about this movie is that it didn't feel like it was trying to be preachy. It was a movie that didn't have to be preachy because we all knew what this movie was trying to convey. It's all there. Minus some small little issues, which really aren't worth going into, I'm going to land on 4.75 out of 5. It's still a great film. And for great performances, you got to check it out. 4.75. Right on, right on. Okay, man. Well, then I guess that brings us to the end of the movies. Next week's movie is going to be 2017's version of... The Beguiled. And so without further ado, I believe we are now down to the spiel, are we not, sir? Spiel on. Is there something wrong with the food? No, the food was excellent. Perhaps you're not happy with the service? No, no, no complaints. It's just that we have to go. I'm having rather a heavy period. And we have a train to catch. Oh, Yes, yes, of course, we have a train to catch, and I don't want to start bleeding all over the seats. All 
Worldwide. Well, the music you've been listening to, as always, has been brought to us by our music partners, Cries of Solace. You can check them out at ReverbNation.com and Facebook.com, both slash Cries of Solace. As for us, we are, of course, the SLS Cast. You can find us at SLSCast.com. You can send us an email to the show at SLSCast.com. You can follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can follow me, this is Matt, on Twitter at Nitwit12345. You can, of course, come aboard that information superhighway and track down Tim on Twitter if that's your heart's desire. Don't forget, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio, as well as track us down on the old SoundCloud. So until next week, this is Matt saying that thanks to Jason Momoa, I get to say this. I think a man needs to be a man to hold a woman the way she wants to be held. Just do whatever your woman wants, and you'll be fine. Take care, cinephiles, and we'll talk at you again next week. Madam, perhaps we should be going. Oh, very well, monsieur. Thank you so much. So nice to see you. And I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.